Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live is a journalist, novelist, memoirist. She's written many books, including The House of the Spirits, Eva Luna, The Infinite Plan, Paula, and she has now a sequel to City of the Beasts, a novel for young readers. It's called Kingdom of the Golden Dragon. Will you please welcome Isabel Allende to West Coast Live. I have to say that normally we, we sit in a director's chairs here for these interviews, but no, it's not that you're too short. It's that the the other one broke just <laughs> recently, and so we have to have it repaired. Okay. Yeah, I mean I it's not, not that you expect my feet to be dangling. No. <laughs> anyway, I um I got this book this week, and I wanted to read it, but my son saw it and he took it away from me. How old is your son? Uh, he's almost nine. Oh, perfect. And he's starting to read it, and I went to the library and checked out the first one, The City of the Beasts, and I read it last mm. night. It's fantastic. Thank you so I much. I mean, it's an adventure. And this picture of you in this book, <laughs> I mean, you look like Indiana Jones. That's, that's the, the whole point. That's a, see, yeah. a, <laughs> well, I look much better in photographs anyhow. And with a hat, everybody looks good. But I mean, there you are, you're wearing what looks like a, a vest outdoors, and yeah. this, is, this is an adventure story uh, about a young man, uh, he's, he's 15 when the, the story starts, Alexander Cold, and who's sent off... By, by the way, Alexander Cold, Cold is not a metaphor for what I think of Americans, no. It's a, the translation of Alejandro Frias, my grandson. So Frias I, is cold in Spanish. I was going to ask you about that later, because the... Uh, all of your books you write in Spanish, and then they're translated into English. Yeah. I do all the important things in my life in Spanish. I dream, I make love, I cook, I spank my grandchildren, all that in Spanish. <laughs> and so do you know Margaret Sayers Payton? Yeah, she's been my translator for 22 years. She's wonderful. She's this pioneer lady, 76 years old in Missouri. And uh, we have a psychic connection, she and I. And so when you send her the material to, to translate, do you send it chapter by chapter? Does she get the whole book at once? No, she gets the whole book usually, and uh, she starts translating even without a contract. Immediately she starts translating, and then we see later who is going to publish the book. And was it, what sort of words does she get stuck on? Does she get stuck on anything and call you up and say, do you want it to be more with this kind of a nuance? You know, uh, there are things that don't work in English. It's a cultural thing. For example, not in this book in particular, but in other books I have had, um, let's say, love scenes. And there's a whole vocabulary in Spanish for love. The ballads, the, the, the poems, romance, uh, the things that the Latin lover whispers in your ear. By the way, don't look for the G-spot any further. It's in your ear. And... Um, <laughs> And that's what Latin's, Latin lovers do best. They don't know anything about foreplay, but they know how to talk. <laughs> and, um, well, isn't that a form of foreplay itself? Yeah, yeah, it is. 
and um, and so when I write a love scene, I use that kind of stuff, and then she calls me from Missouri and says, you know what, this doesn't work in English. It doesn't sound erotic, it sounds suspicious. <laughs> so we, cut, we, we tone it down. Yeah. So, Aleg Alexander Cold, or uh, Aleg Alexandra Frias, uh, has, uh, is sent to live with his 64-year-old 64 64 -year grandmother, Kate, in New York. She's a writer and a photographer for the International Geographic, and immediately, He's, he's having, his, his mother is dying, uh, his father sends him to live with her, they go off and have an adventure in the Amazon, in the first book. Uh, and it's as much a growing time for him as he comes out of his contemporary American life to find a spiritual world in the, in the jungle, and a world filled with danger and romance. Yeah, uh, the, the idea is to, that he is forced to get out of his comfort zone, and he goes to Manhattan where he has his first adventure when he gets off the, the plane and realizes that his grandmother is not waiting for him. He's a very spoiled brat from California who only eats what his mother cooks and junk food. And uh, he's ex then taken by this bitchy grandmother who hates him, by the way, <laughs> takes him to the Amazon where he's confronted with, with a world, a very primitive world, where none of the skills that he has are of any use. He has to learn everything from scratch. And in two weeks, the kid grows up. It's a, uh, it's, it's a book that's filled with detail about life in the Amazon. It, have you been then? Yeah, I, I went twice, and I researched a lot. Have you eaten taper? Yeah, I've eaten everything. I eat everything except beets. <laughs> Not beets? No, I don't eat beets, but I can eat eyes. I can eat snake. I don't mind. But beets is just horrible. <laughs> Either red or golden doesn't make a difference. Any color, any, any, any color. color. I just don't, can't stand beats. I mean, because there's some scenes in here where, where uh, Alexander doesn't want to have uh, the monkey or the taper or the, no, the plantain. He starts to starve. Yeah. He starves because there's nothing else to eat. And so this kid who is used to eating certain things only has to learn to eat. And this is all based on my grandson. How, how has he enjoyed the book? <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> he said... Uh, Grandma, why did you write this about me? Yeah, he's, he's very embarrassed because people make fun of him at school. But by the end of the book, I mean, he's a minch. You know, he's a hero. Yeah, well, that's the point, that when, when you're given a chance, you, you bring from inside strength that you always have, but you, if you don't have to use it, you don't even know you have it. And so that's the whole point of the three books, the trilogy. And the second book, The Kingdom of the Golden Dragon, this bitchy grandmother takes him to the Himalayas, to a, a kingdom that is very similar to Bhutan. And uh, now the relationship between the two is better because the grandmother has some respect for him. The, uh, but along the way, uh, you also get into, for instance, you get into the issues of, of, of the politics of, uh, of, and the economics of the Amazon jungle. Uh, disreputable and evil people who want to wipe out the native populations. Uh, and how do those people get protected? How does a way of life get protected where uh, it's, it's going back you know, thousands of years? There's no modern way of life, and yet there's a spirit in the people that... Knowledge. And knowledge that has a value if we only know how to recognize it. Yeah, but you know, all this is not from that I came up with it. It's what the kids tell me. I researched a lot for the book, and I talked about the, the story with kids with groups of kids. And kids are very worried about nature. 
about the destruction of nature. They are worried about peace. They are worried about the same things I was worried when I was growing up. I grew up during the Cold War when we thought, we feared that the planet would explode in some nuclear cataclysm. And now the kids uh, fear that the planet will, will just die because we are handling it so badly. And that's one of the fears that, that I have in the book. They're also the, the, their concern for peace, which is real, very real. Which is real, and, and together, uh, Alexander, who becomes a hero in the story, and Nadia, the, son, uh, the daughter of a, of, a, of a guide, also becomes a, a, a heroine in the, in the book, together try to solve this mystery. It's a thriller, too, that you've written. Yeah, it's a thriller, but I didn't want the white kid to come and save the natives. You know, the Tarzan story? So he's more a witness or a facilitator of certain things, but he's not the hero that comes and saves the people of color. I hate that stuff, because I am a person of color, too. And so, uh, and that's why the, uh, the role of, uh, his role is then sort of well, I don't know. I mean, he seemed a, a participant, though. I mean, maybe it wasn't saving, yeah. saving the brown people, or as you would put it, but it was, uh, it was one where, he, in the process of his learning, and he was, um, he was taught a different way of life. I mean, he absorbed it, and the shaman who was a yeah. guide for him. Yeah, he did absorb uh, a lot of that, and he learned that he had it in him. There's a shaman who is a healer, and the healer tells him, you are a healer too. You have to develop that. And then the kid who wanted to be a musician at the beginning of the book, at the end of the trilogy, will become a doctor. Because in the three books, he, he learns that he has that, that thing in him, that skill of, of tuning into, into other people and healing. Well, there's a very powerful scene, too, in the book where the boy discovers his totem. Mm -hmm. His totemic animal. Mm -hmm. And the, this is in many, uh, in many peoples in the world, you find the idea that we are connected, we have a soul connection to some animals, sometimes trees, but mainly um, animals in the Native Americans, in the Amazon, in many places in South America, in Africa. And so some shamans and some leaders and healers discover who the, their totemic animal is and draw from that animal skills and virtues and strength. Most people never find out about, about their own totemic animal. And so I, I researched about that and I thought it would be wonderful to have my two protagonists have a totemic animal. So hers is the eagle and his is the jaguar, the Latin American jaguar. How is writing these books different from writing your other books? They say that they're for young readers, but I, I mean, to me it was a quite wonderful novel in and of itself. I didn't feel I had to be 10 years old to read it. Well, thank you. It was different than writing for adults. First of all, they have no sex, and it's, it's boring to write a book without sex, because I'm always looking forward to page 160 when I will have my big sex scene. There's, yeah. there's teenage longing, though. Yeah, but you know, the, 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 you have to deal with the, with, the, with the children's departments of the publishing houses, and they have yeah. these ideas about how things should be. They don't mind violence as much. Yeah, there's a lot of there's, a, there's, a, there's some violence. Yeah, you can have all the violence you want, but no bad words, no cursing, and no sex. <laughs> they take away all the fun of the book and of life. Um, then th there, there's also this idea that in children's books, 
you shouldn't go too, f too long with the descriptions of places and have more action, more dialogue, things happening in every page, which is fun to write, but, but it takes away from the texture, the flavor of writing a novel for adults. A novel for adults can have 700 pages and be just description, almost no dialogue, and it works. When you were a teenager, did you read books that had sex scenes in them? I read everything because there were no, first of all, there was no TV. No, I, they never took me to the movies. I was an only girl in a house of males, so reading was the only thing I could do. And no one monitored or censored what I read. So I read everything. But now you can't write what you want for teenagers. Well, for teenagers, I have to be careful. But in my adult novels, I also have to be careful because my mother is still alive. <laughs> so... Boy, you're hemmed in by the old and the young both. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's 84, so I have a few more years to go. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a, a pacing uh, to these books that, that is uh, quite enjoyable. There's a, it's a, it's a page-turner. How would you think of ending a chapter so that you'd want to turn on and keep going to the next one? Leave it always dangling. Yeah. Uh, Dickens said, um, make them laugh make them cry, but above all, make them wait. <laughs> and he was a master of that. So he many of his novels of were uh, yeah. you know, in periodicals. So what's the whole uh, suspense is that, is you make them wait. You just give a little bit, and then you keep them waiting for the rest. It's like, like courting. Like, like courting? Love. Yeah, like love. But along the way, though, I mean, the opening scene, for instance, in The Kingdom of the Golden Dragon, where you have the, the, the monks walking along to some landscape uh, and, uh, and it's a puzzle to get into. It's a mysterious land that they're off to, a kind of a Shangri-La, a hidden place that the rest of the world doesn't know about. Uh, I mean, it draws you in right away. It's like, I want to be on this journey with these people. Yeah, it is a mysterious place. The idea is that it's the Valley of the Yetis and we will find out who the Yetis are along the book. Have you, uh, and you've got sort of like big creatures in the first book, too. And I have big creatures in the second book, too, yeah. because I'm fascinated, by, uh, fascinated by, by the idea that there are in the world creatures, animals, peoples that we know nothing about. The, the, the idea of the people of the mist, how did you come up with that? It, it's actually semi-true. Um, you know the difference between fantasy and magic realism. I cannot use fantasy because I don't feel very comfortable in that. Uh, Harry Potter is fantasy, and I love it, and I think uh, J.K. Rowling should have the Nobel Prize. She has the kids of the world reading. She's wonderful. And she uses fantasy, which is something magical and, and mysterious that is out of the blue. But um, in magic realism, it's always based on something real. And the people of the mist is the best example. In Harry Potter, you have the invisibility cloak, and you turn invisible. That has no explanation. But my Indians in this book are invisible too. But they're invisible because they paint their bodies, and they walk in nature so quietly that they can be three yards away and you don't see them. And this is actually true of some tribes in the Amazon. And in a way of people who are accustomed to living in an environment through which most of us just kind of thrash when we go out into the wild. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, so have you read all the Harry Potter books? Not all, but I have read like three and I love them. Yeah, yeah. 
The, uh, and it's got that kind of uh, magical stuff in it. Uh, yeah, but you know what is the most magical about Harry Potter? That it is so popular in the world that in China they have already published Harry Potter 6 and 7. She hasn't written them yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a Chinese person in some place writing the Harry Potters that the author has not written yet. You know, I, I, th I think that uh, Alexander Cold will, will should go out and find that person. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. Comes upon the J.K. Rowling <laughs> imitator, imitator or, or doppelganger that's out there. Yeah, very good idea, yeah. actually. And so what's the third one called? This is part of a trilogy. Yeah, the third one is written already. It will be published in Spanish in September and next year in English. And it's called Forest of the Pygmies. And it happens in equatorial Africa. The, uh, the rollicking adventure stories. And quite moving too, because you bring in the spiritual aspect of other peoples that they visit. And, and thank you so much for coming in and telling us about them. The uh, the second of the series is called Kingdom of the Golden Dragon. The first is called City of the Beasts. Isabel Allende. Thank, thank you very much. So, thank you. Muchas gracias. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live, right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.